You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host, Brian Rob Rang. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a loaded episode coming your way because the Seahawks had their first padded practice of training camp on Tuesday. Going to be sharing some observations from what, quite frankly, Rob, was a pretty uneventful first padded day of practice, but still plenty of things going on at the VMAC. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Go to the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. It's only week two of training camp, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. It's not time to panic. But one of the major themes so far of camp has been a sluggish offense that has not been able to find the end zone consistently. And unfortunately, Rob, that trend continued during yesterday's practice, just two touchdowns during their team periods. And that was probably about half of the practice. They just can't seem to finish drives. And making matters worse, apparently I jinxed Jason Myers because he missed two field goals during the team session yesterday too. And this is going against a defense without Bobby Wagner and Carlos Dunlap. It's just not been a really good start overall for Shane Waldron and his scheme. Yeah, I think that if all you did, Corbin, was uh, listen to Pete Carroll talk about uh, the new offense and and some of the players, then you would think that that Shane Waldron's uh, version of the the Seahawks offense was just humming right along and that that Russell Wilson was was absolutely starring so far in training camp. And yet from what I have seen on the the, the video uh, access to, to training camp, um, that is being offered by the Seahawks Q13 and uh, their Facebook page and all that. Uh, and what you've seen there in person, I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, but it has been a struggle. And I think that some of that is to be expected. Obviously, you have a, a brand new offensive coordinator. Um, you have some, uh, you know, some moving parts along the offensive line, not only uh, with Gabe Jackson joining the team, but uh, Dwayne Brown is apparently uh, sitting out every day of practice so far into the lack of reliable pass pass protection. I think that Russell Wilson is certainly expecting that, uh, certainly feeling that. We talked so much about how Seattle's uh, revamped defensive line might be a hindrance to opponents. It's going to be a hindrance to the Seahawks offense during training camp. And then I, my biggest concern, Corbin, has been there's been so much talk about the intricacies of Waldron's offense. And I just wonder if the quarterback and the wide receivers or at least the pass catchers that the quarterback is intending to throw the ball to, they have to be on the same page. And that is going to take so much time. And, and so I, I think, think that's, that is going to be a struggle. And it's, it's something that we should expect, not only throughout training camp, but I think that you're going to see this offense start off kind of slow over those first couple of weeks of the NFL regular season. And, it, and it's unfortunate for the Seahawks because they happen to start off with some quality competition. 
Yeah, they're going to be growing pains. We knew that all along. And this is an offense that has plenty of complexity, at least for the receivers and the quarterback. So there's going to be things that need to be ironed out. And we're seeing it on the field. And I'm not going to sit here and say that there haven't been bright spots because we've talked about them. I think the running backs have looked outstanding throughout camp. The run game looks solid. I'm going to say that right now. The run game looks pretty solid this first week and a half. The tight ends have been fantastic. We talked about Gerald Everett and Colby Parkinson on our Tuesday show. Both of them have looked good. Will Disley's made a couple of nice plays in the last few practices as well. So there have been position groups that have looked solid. There have been a few shots downfield to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But I think that's really the thing that's worth noting here. This is an offense where they're really trying to improve the effectiveness of their short to intermediate passing game. And it almost looks to me like they're really forcing that here this first week and a half or so. And there's a lot of timing-based routes in this scheme. And it looks like Russell Wilson, his receivers, and even Geno Smith at times and his receivers, there have been issues where the quarterback isn't getting the ball out. The timing with the receivers isn't where they want it to be. And again, those are things we expected. So I'm at like a two and a half out of 10 as far as concern goes. I expect that this group is going to figure things out. There's way too much talent. We have seen some flash plays. Heck, today's practice, we might see the offense explode. It feels like it's coming, but up to this point, they haven't been able to really gain traction. The other thing I'm going to note from yesterday's practice is that they had several drives that were situational, that were down one point, we need a field goal. They weren't trying to punch the ball into the end zone. And so those those drills also impacted the number of times that they scored. So those are things that you have to know in context. But still, it feels like the passing game has got a lot of things that they're going to have to figure out here in quick order. And even by the start of the regular season, they're going to be working through some of the changes that Shane Waldron has installed in the passing game. Yeah, and that's the thing is I, I do expect there's going to be such a huge change between the Seahawks offense in 2021 and what we've seen over the last several years with Brian Schottenheimer calling the plays and so many big shots. And, uh, you know, it does make sense, as you reference Corbin, for Seattle to be prioritizing the quick passing game, getting the ball in the tight end's hands, uh, because that was such a, a limitation in the, in the previous offense. But I don't know that you want to just go all in to the idea of the short dump off passes when you have a quarterback as gifted at throwing the deep ball as Russell Wilson is. And of course you have two pro bowl wide receivers on the outside as well. So I, I do think that I, I agree with you. I think it's two and a half, three on the scale, uh, you know, one to 10 of, of how concerned are you, but let, let's revisit this topic in a couple of weeks and see if there has not been some change. If there's not been some, some upgrades again, to me, a huge part of it just goes back to the protection. How comfortable is Russell Wilson feeling in terms of his own head and what he's reading, but then also how protected does he feel? Not, I mentioned Dwayne Brown in the left tackle position, but obviously up front as well with, with Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller alternating snaps. And we talked about the center was a position of concern that the fact that Seattle's defensive line is as good as it is. I just wonder if, if Seattle's quarterbacks are feeling some pressure, to get the ball out of their hands just because because they don't want to, to ruin the flow of practice by obviously they can't be getting sacked during practices, but they can get touched and, and that can basically eliminate the play as well. And they want to keep moving. They want to have that tempo. So again, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's over uh, overwhelming concern at this point, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. 
I thought we'd see a little bit more fireworks at this stage. So that's why I'm not a one out of 10 like I would have been last week where it's like, oh, we're only a few practices in. But again, I don't think it's time to panic, not even close. And when you're talking about a timing-based offense that is brand new, it is going to take time. Six practices, they're not suddenly going to be holding a master class on how to execute Shane Waldron's offense. That's just not how this is going to go. So I was anticipating that there were going to be some growing pains. And again, maybe today we'll see a bit more fireworks. Maybe they'll take a few more shots downfield. I just get the feeling that Waldron is really emphasizing those short to intermediate routes because really that's one of the reasons they hired him to make that part of Seattle's passing game better. But also, you know, Uh, that's where a lot of those timing routes come into play. So they're getting a lot of work on that. I would expect that we're going to see more of those shots downfield as camp progresses, especially when Dwayne Brown gets back, whenever that time comes. That will make Russell Wilson feel a lot more comfortable to drop back and take a little bit more time looking for receivers downfield. There's no question about it. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to play our first stock watch of the 2021 season, which players have improved their odds earning a 53-man roster spot, and which players have not done so. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. The Seahawks now have six training camp practices in the books, five of them being open to the media as well as fans. So it's time, Rob, for our first stock watch of the new season, which players have bolstered their stock here during the first week and a half of camp and which players have not done so. Let's start with the positives here on stock up in the backfield. You and I actually had a difficult time with this because there were a couple of running backs that we felt that we could have picked for this. But despite how well Rashad Penny has played, I believe being in attendance at all the training camp practices so far, Alex Collins has actually been the biggest revelation in the backfield and he's competing for one of those last roster spots in a crowded group. He's been catching the ball really well. He's looked good in their pass protection drills has ran the ball. Well had a play yesterday where Greg Island was out in front of him, the big fella on a sweep and Island made a nice block and Collins finished the run with authority pushing a would be tackler several yards downfield. So we're just, we're seeing that physicality from him that we didn't see the first time that he was in Seattle. We saw it last year in the three games he got a chance to play in. That is carried over into training camp. And DK Metcalf called him a monster unprompted. He's got his teammates' attention. So it seems like Collins right now is trending towards the right side of the bubble here a week and a half into camp. Yeah, and I think you did a great job of uh, kind of 
explain that, Corbin. We're, we're trying to find some players here who aren't necessarily going to uh, return to their starting level. But a guy like Alex Collins, who, of course, had been released by Seattle and bounced around the league for a while as a former fifth round pick himself. I mean, this isn't nearly as high profile of a player. So you're right. I think that uh, Rashad Payne deserves some acknowledgement coming back from the injury. Pete Carroll has mentioned him, but Rather than being a, a revitalized Alex Collins, it was it's a reminder of Alex Collins that that I think that that the Seahawks uh, evaluators and fans needed because this is a guy that had incredible success all throughout his career. Arkansas rushing for over thousand yards, four consecutive seasons uh, in the SEC. Obviously, had success in Seattle, had success in Baltimore. We, we mentioned the, the three games that he had last year where he just looked like a different back. He looked quicker. He looked more physical, as, as you mentioned. And the fact that he is continuing that level of play so far in training camp, I agree with you. I think that it's getting to the point where Alex Collins is looking more and more like a sure thing of making Seattle's roster. And I don't know that nationally people are expecting that. I, I think in a very similar way, even though he was drafted a little bit later, uh, or excuse me, a little bit earlier as a first round pick by the Green Bay Packers, I think you have to mention Demarius Randall, the cornerback uh, slash safety, you know, in that he also has bounced around the league a little bit. A lot of people nationally are talking about him as, as somebody who has been lining up Seahawks practices and, you know, but at the same time, we've talked about how much of a of a position of concern that is for the Seahawks, and Randall continues to make plays. He has great athletic ability. So I think that he also has kind of reminded folks um, of his talent, and, and that might be the exactly what he has to do to be able to make this roster. Randall has been one of the biggest surprises so far in camp. There's no question about it. The picks, the near pick six. I'm going to say that because I've seen some reporters saying he took it back to the house. I was on the sideline. He got touched inside the 10-yard line, and they blew the whistle. So I am not counting it a touchdown. Now, maybe in a real game, he would have found a way to get those last eight or nine yards. But I'm telling you, the whistle blew. So he didn't get a pick six. But anyway, uh, he jumped the route by DJ Dallas, picks off Russell Wilson, we know that he's got ball hawking skills. We saw it in Green Bay. He had 10, or 10 interceptions his first couple of years with the Packers and the Cleveland Browns. He has the ability to be able to jump routes. Where he's been in trouble is he can get burned for doing that. And so the Seahawks have to make sure that he's making calculated gambles and, and, and not trying to do too much because he can get in trouble when he does that. But he's got the athletic tools, not – quite the size that Seattle's normally preferred out there, but we're seeing a change, a shift in that philosophy anyway with Trey Brown and DJ Reed. So Demarius Randall is right in their wheelhouse right now as far as size goes, 4-4 athlete, uh, explosive quickness. So you're looking at a guy that I think does have a fighting chance now making this team, and the fact that he can play both safety spots too. That versatility and his special team's value He's got a much better chance now of making this team than what he did going into camp. And he's the real wild card of that cornerback spot. The last thing we're going to throw out here, I don't think there was any doubt about Colby Parkinson making the 53 with <laughs> Seattle's depth at tight end. But I have to include him on this list just because he kind of was a relative unknown going into this training camp. We didn't get to see him in camp last year. He was recovering from a broken foot, and he was only available half the season. But seeing him in OTAs, how much stronger he looked. He He's a specimen. We're talking 6'7", 260 pounds chiseled. And he just towers over most of the other skill players the Seahawks have. He's in four inches taller than DK Metcalf. I mean, we're talking about a big dude that runs like a gazelle, really soft hands. 
And I just didn't anticipate that he was going to be as dominant what he as what he has been up to this point. The only kryptonite he's had has been Pierre Desir, who's made a couple of really nice plays against him in the end zone in coverage. Otherwise, nobody else in Seattle's defense has had an answer for him. So he's really had a great camp. He just bolstered his stock within the confines of this offense. He's going to get more opportunities, especially when they're inside the 20. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I was kind of uh, bickering with you before about the, the choice of words and describing Alex Collins a revelation, and I, I thought it was a reminder. I, I think here with, uh, with with Kobe Parkinson, he all, he has been a revelation this year. Uh, you know, just um, and, and again, a, a little bit of a reminder of, of just what a terrific football player that, that he is at that size. And I love that you mentioned just his size, his that the added strength and, and mass that he's shown. I think sometimes when there's listeners who have don't can't picture these players that when they think about a guy who has gotten a lot bigger and stronger, I think they think sometimes think about the arms, think about the chest. And there's no doubt that Parkinson has added a lot of weight in his upper body, but it was his thighs that I was the most impressed by. And, and that may sound silly, but think about when you're blocking, think about when you're trying to charge through, you know, would be tackles. You have to have that lower leg drive to be able to do that. That's where Parkinson really made a, a different, a, a definite jump in my opinion from his first year in the NFL uh, to his second year in the NFL. And why I do think that he will truly become a revelation in Seattle's offense and switching over to, unfortunately, some of the guys who are not doing quite so well. I think that we have to start off the conversation along the offensive line with Dwayne Brown uh, in a parent contract dispute is sitting, you know, sideline um, is not playing. What an opportunity for Jamarco Jones to really lock down that primary backup left tackle position. But it just seems like he can't catch a break. He, he struggled with durability throughout his time in the NFL. And that, of course, is continuing on this season. Hasn't been able to, to suit up for the Seahawks. So to me, he is one of those players that I think should, has the talent to make this roster, but is fighting for a job right now just because he needs to get onto the field to be able to prove that he's somebody the Seahawks can rely on. And he's now got Stone Forsythe right behind him in the rear view mirror. And that's a big boy coming for you. I almost thought about putting Forsythe on stock up, but he's had one padded practice. If yeah. he does what he did yesterday for a few more practices, we'll talk about this in the third quarter, then maybe on our next one, Forsythe will be on there as far as just bolstering his stock in the competition with the tackle spots. We we expect that he is going to be on the opening roster, but Jamarco Jones got his leg rolled up a couple days ago, and Pete Carroll made it sound like it's not serious at all. They held him out yesterday. Maybe he'll be back for practice today, but you're right. He has not been able to stay on the field consistently. Durability has been an issue, and quite frankly, he just hasn't jumped out. We haven't seen any padded practices for him yet, so maybe he'll come back and play really well, and maybe we can put him on stock up next time, but he just hasn't done enough. And some of the young guys that are gunning for that backup job, I thought Cedric Abway, he looked solid yesterday as well. So I mean, when you're looking at the tackle competition, the way it's shaping up, uh, not necessarily a good thing for Jones. Also, Phil Haynes is playing pretty well in the interior, and he is healthy. So Jamarco Jones playing guard, maybe that's not an option now either. If Phil Haynes is healthy, he's more of a natural guard in this offense and the type of player that Coach Mike Solari prefers at that position size-wise. So he's got some things working against him. He's going to have to get back, be healthy, and be able to stay on the field to be able to ensure that he gets that roster spot because there's a lot of competition there. I'm going to go to the backfield, a player that has not participated in camp. And I don't like pulling this straw because 
he hasn't had an opportunity to show what he can do. But I talked about Alex Collins, Rashad Penny, Chris Carson looks great. You've got DJ Dallas, who's had a, a really long touchdown run, several nice catches during camp so far. There's a lot of talent in that backfield group. Josh Johnson, the undrafted rookies, played well the last couple of practices. Travis Homer being out with the calf issue that he is dealing with. This is the worst of times for him to have that. And it sounds to me, based on what Carol has said in a couple of the pressers, that this is a pretty significant injury that he has re-injured a couple of times now. And I've had calf injuries before. They can take forever to heal. So who knows whenever he's able to actually get back on the field. But when he does, he's going to be playing catch-up big time because of the talent that the Seahawks have amassed at that running back position. And as long as everybody else stays healthy, it just feels like this is one of those cases by default. What do we do with this kid? Because we have four or five other really good running backs, and he, quite frankly, has not been available. He missed half of last year injured too. So this is a case where unless he gets back soon – there just might not be a spot there for him in the backfield, even with him being the best pass protector that they have on the team. You've got a couple other backs that have improved in that regard that offer more in other areas of the game. Yeah, that's the thing is that Travis Homer has shown some flashes, but uh, you know, again, the, the lack of durability is a concern that the, the talent around him at that position is a concern. And so that is a theme that I'm going to kind of continue on with our third player. And I think there's some of our listeners, Corbin, are probably saying, hey, you know, this is some pretty low hanging fruit. You're kind of picking on some guys who struggle with injuries. I'm going to pick on a player that I was very excited about when, when Seattle drafted him. I have touted him repeatedly. And yet he has been disappointed so far. And he has it's not been the durability issue with him so much. But with Rasheem Green on the defensive line, it's like, what the heck? You got to get going. You know, the, the Seattle has too much talent along their defensive line for Green to continue to be a non-factor. Uh, I just don't see the aggression. I don't see the the the, the just the nastiness. And, and so he is an athletic talent. Um, there is no doubt about that. We talked before about how young he is. But, uh, you know, I, I still think that he's going to likely make the roster. But I don't know that he's going to get much playing time considering how many mouths that Clint Hurt and Ken Norton Jr. Pete Carroll have to feed along that defensive line. I wish I shared your optimism about him making this roster. I'm going to just say this right now. A lot of reporters interpreted this differently, and I could be completely off base. But when Pete Carroll said the other day that we're moving him around, trying some new things with him, that told me we're just trying to find somewhere that maybe he can stick. That's what it told me. It didn't tell (laughs) me, oh, we're trying to find some – you know, we, we love his athleticism. We're just, we're going to create a position for him. And it seems to me like they are trying to force the issue here creatively, trying to find a role that maybe he can stick with, because quite frankly, he's been underwhelming throughout camp. And I, I found yesterday's one-on-ones again, it was one practice. He could come out and have a great practice today, but Damian Lewis, sometimes those one-on-ones can be kind of tough to tell who's the victor. It was not that way when Damian Lewis was going up against Rasheem Green yesterday. Green tried to bull rush him back-to-back reps and maybe got Lewis pushed back a foot. And then Lewis just set those big legs into the ground and said, thou shall not pass. I mean, he turned (laughs) into Gandalf and just stonewalled it. And uh, I was actually next to ESPN's Brady Henderson, and we both looked at each other like, Well, sometimes this can be tough, but uh, that's obvious who won that one. (laughs) So uh, he just, we haven't seen enough from him. And the fact that you've now got Robert Kimdiche that is on the team playing well, and he can do that hybrid 
defensive end, defensive tackle role. You've got all the other Leo ends that they've got. They've got Kerry Hyder now. I just don't know where you play him. I really don't. I mean, and, and it's too bad because he still is a young player and maybe he could have that light switch come on. But we're now in year four. If the light yeah. switch isn't going to come on now, when is it going to come on? Yeah. And so he's playing for his roster spot. And right now I think he is on the wrong side of the roster bubble. And he's got time to fix that, but this is a crowded defensive line and right now. He just seems like he's the one that is on the outside looking in right now. And it's a pretty big gap that he's going to have to close as far as I'm concerned. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to discuss observations from yesterday's first padded practice. We'll be right back. You're listening to the locked on Seahawks podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host, Rob Rang. The Seahawks returning to the practice field on Tuesday in pads for the first time since way back in January. And it's always an exciting practice, at least from that standpoint. I was disappointed with how things went for the next two hours, but it was really exciting to see the guys out there actually doing tackling drills. I loved watching the corners and safeties coming up on the one-man sled and working on their tackling technique. It got the fans fired up. You still had Robert Kimdiche bouncing up and down the sideline and trying to play the role of cheerleader. So uh, the, the opening portion of practice, just some of the drills that the Seahawks have not been able to do that they were finally able to do for the first time in training camp in pads, there was a different type of excitement in the air. That's where my positivity, for the most part, disappears, though. <laughs> I won't say it disappears. We'll start with Rashad Penny, because I think that the general consensus in early portion of training camp, we've seen the explosiveness and the burst has returned for Penny. He's leaner at 223 pounds. He looks the part on the field. But until we actually saw him playing against a defense that wasn't playing two-hand touch, there were still plenty of questions about where is he really at coming back from the couple knee surgeries that he's had? Yesterday, he answered those questions emphatically, though. The play that jumped out to me, he was getting the ball on a pitch to the right, gets down the sideline, and lowers the boom on Akella Witherspoon. Just trucked him. Knocked him onto his backside. Gets pushed out of bounds, but it was just kind of a nonchalant shrug. Boom, knocked him over. That's the type of stuff we have not seen near enough from Penny. When you go back to his college film, he was a really good power back. We have not seen that translate to the NFL. He's gone down too easy much of the time. So it was really encouraging to see coming off the surgeries for him to go out there and you could just tell how fired up he was to be back in pads, bowling over a guy and a couple other players that he fit a couple other plays that he finished with authority at the end of his carries. So another really encouraging development for a shot penny. 
Yeah, Corbin, while I wasn't there, uh, I, I was in communication with, with some of Seattle scouts, and uh, and yeah, they were kind of echoing the same type of excitement about uh, Rashad Penny. I, I had one scout who who basically said it was very similar to, um, you know, when Daryl Taylor was back at the OTAs, and he just looked like a kid in a candy store, just so excited to be back on the field. And then, yes, when you have the return to pads and real football again, then I think that that gives players a little bit more enthusiasm for that opportunity. And, and so it is good to hear uh, and to be reading about Penny uh, really returning to that physical back that he was. Pete Carroll has kind of lauded the, the fact that, they, that, uh, that Penny is back in the best shape of his of his life with the Seahawks 223 pounds um, you know so that's in terrific shape and and it wasn't just the power that he demonstrated but that burst we, we've seen flashes of it um, and, and so that's obviously one of the things you're concerned about anytime a player is coming off of a torn ACL is are they going to have that quick twitch that that acceleration and so if Penny does have that then the the one two perhaps three man rotation uh, we talked about Alex Collins before and and certainly I'm a big believer in Penny and obviously Chris Carson, I think really makes that running game a, a strength. But, you know, as excited as I was about that, as excited I was about some of the individual flashes that we saw from some other players as well. I, I was let down by yesterday's practice core, but I, I just thought that we would see a little bit more kind of traditional football. I saw a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching, a lot of drills where they're kind of, you know, explain how they want the Seahawks to tackle and things like that. So it wasn't quite as exciting of uh, of the opening day of, of hitting uh, as anticipated, but at the same time, I think that it was a critical day because again we are seeing so many young players who are playing very important positions we talked about stone foresight that's one that i really want to continue to be kind of watching to see how the young off the tackle continues to perform one other offensive player that i want to highlight real quick i didn't have a chance to talk much about him on our tuesday show because we were running low on time but South Dakota State rookie Kay Johnson looks like he's starting to get his footing. As far as the undrafted players, he has been the one that here the last couple of practices seems like he's figuring things out. Granted, he's playing against second string defenders. He's playing with a second string offense, but he has a touchdown now in back-to-back practices. He had another really nice catch towards the end of yesterday's practice. He's just such a crafty route runner, and he's a guy that I had outlined as probably the undrafted rookie with the best chance of making this football team. And I still believe that. I still believe the Seahawks could keep, they could keep six receivers. And Wayne Eskridge comes back. I still think they could keep six receivers. And I think Kay Johnson has a really good chance at getting that spot because he can play special teams. He can tackle, he can return kicks and punts. They've really not done much with that yet, but I expect him to be very much so in the mix there as well. And the fact that he's starting to do some damage from the slot, he's earning the trust of Geno Smith. I'm kind of wanting to see what he can do with Russell Wilson on the first team. And I'm hoping the Seahawks give him that opportunity here because I think he's earned it with how he's played the last couple practices. I think yes. Uh, you've mentioned that you know he had, he had a touchdown a couple of days ago, and, and so we, we've talked so much about what a savvy route runner he is. And I love that you mentioned Seattle's 
rookie wide receiver? Because one thing that viewers like myself had an opportunity that you may not have seen, Corbin, um, with your perspective being there at the VMAC, was the little bit of time that they showed Seattle's rookie uh, first draft pick, Dwayne Eskridge, on the field. And, and he was working with the Seahawks assistant wide receiver coach, Kerry Joseph. And it was it was very clear that, that Joseph was basically just holding up uh, you know, a piece of paper that had the different formations, the different route combinations, and Eskridge was off to the side, um, just kind of lining up the way he was supposed to, at least kind of walking through or running through uh, some of his routes, at least at kind of half speed. But it did give Seahawks fans a little bit of an update to see Eskridge on the field working with the Seahawks coaches. Um, and, and obviously, we, we know that uh, Eskridge is expected to be able to come in and, and make a significant impact for the Seahawks. So at least that was a little bit of a positive update on that front. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball because that's really been the side of the football, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and we talked the offensive struggles. Really, the defense has been winning the day, day in and day out, even without Bobby Wagner and Carlos Dunlap yesterday. I thought the defensive tackle group, this was really the first practice that we could evaluate them because you had full throttle contact in the trenches and the defensive tackle group as a whole played really well during their team sessions yesterday. Puna Ford had a tackle for loss on Chris Carson. They got a tackle for loss from Brian Monet, who just completely bullied Kyle Fuller into the backfield. And Cedric Lattimore had two tackles for loss yesterday, the first practice that he's really shown up. And again, this was the first practice we really could evaluate those players because they haven't been able to do much during the first four or five practices. So it was a really good day for Cedric Lattimore, who's competing for one of those final spots, backing up the three-tech position behind Puna Ford. A really good day for him. One of the plays, he actually he literally just walked into the backfield, and I think he got the running back down four or five yards in the backfield. It was just a really impressive play. So I thought the defensive tackles really jumped out. And DJ Reed, I think it's time at this point. Pete Carroll's going to say what he's going to say. The competition is on. I think the right cornerback job has has been won. I, I don't even know if it was open, to be honest with you. DJ Reed, to me, has been one of the best players on their defense in training camp. He's given up a couple big plays. You're going to give them up in practice when you've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that you're working against. You're working against Pro Bowl receivers. You're going to lose sometimes. But he had an interception in one-on-ones yesterday covering DK Metcalf. He had three pass deflections during the team period, one of them in the end zone. He's just everywhere. He was coming up against the run, making plays. DJ Reed is a darn good football player. And so I would be stunned if he's not starting at right cornerback in week one against the Colts. I think he's got that job on lockdown. Yeah, long, long time locked on Seahawks fans will will remember how excited we were when the Seahawks basically stole DJ Reed from the 49ers a year ago. And so um, I, I can't say that I'm surprised that he's made Seattle's roster and has made them better. I am surprised that he has performed as well as he has. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, that there is such reason for optimism with him that so many people are kind of losing sight on, especially with uh, the, the, you know, the boosted pass rush that the Seahawks are going to have uh, around him this year. Um, the other thing that I, I really wanted to, to make sure that um, that we mentioned on, on the defensive side of the ball is that I, I, and of course, Corbin, you being the veteran that you are, you know what to expect this, but 
early on in camp, the defensive line is going to have such a huge advantage of the offensive line. And so the listeners out there, I, I wouldn't put too much talk into, oh, the sky is falling down. Ethan Posick is terrible. Kyle, Kyle Fuller is terrible. Gabe Jackson, Damian Lewis, they're all yep. struggling. The defensive tackles are just dominant. It takes some time. The first couple of days of practice, the defense usually wins, even without players like Dunlap or Bobby Wagner. Having attended senior bowl practices for 20 years, Corbin, I can tell you the first couple of days, the defensive line always just dominates. And there's so many writers out there who are just writing about this defensive tackle or this edge rusher, and then they just disappear for the rest of the week. So that's the thing is that I'm excited about what Lattimore and what Al Woods and, and some of Seattle's other interior defensive linemen have done. Keep it up. Let, let's see if they can continue that. And it's a little bit of a step, a little bit of a wake-up call uh, to Kyle Fuller, to Ethan Posick, and then of the offensive line obviously if seattle is not able to hold off their own defensive line they're really going to struggle going against opponents once the regular season occurs to close out the show one quick note did get to see stone forsyth going up against both alden smith and daryl taylor during the one-on-one period which i was so excited about and it was a mixed bag Forsyth actually won his first rep against Alden Smith, held him at bay. Now, the second one, it looked like Forsyth was going to win, and then Alden Smith proved why he's probably pound for pound the strongest guy on the Seahawks roster. He one-armed, shivered, bull-rushed Forsyth and knocked him about 10 yards backward. And so it was a really impressive play. Then when Daryl Taylor was up, again, Forsyth, I had him going 50-50. The first rep using those really long arms. Daryl Taylor's trying to turn the corner, ends up slipping while Forsythe's got the long arms extended. So he won that one. The very next play, Daryl Taylor decided, you know what? I didn't win with finesse on that last one. I'm going to show you I've got more might than my 255-pound frame might suggest. And this is going to be the one issue that Forsythe is going to have to work through. And I don't know how he's going to do it sometimes because he's six foot eight. But having defenders get under his pads Alden Smith was able to do it on that one bull rush and Daryl Taylor was able to do it on their second one-on-one rep and ended up driving him a few yards into the backfield as well so that's going to be something to watch how does he make up how does he compensate for the fact that he is so tall that is going to be a disadvantage particularly in the run game but there are times in pass protection there will be a problem for him as well I thought it was a pretty solid first day in pads though for Forsyth going against some pretty good competition in those one-on-ones betting on the NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling get daily picks blowout specials wrong team favored picks and Lee Sterling's lock of the day follow the locked on bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts you can follow me on twitter corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang check out locked on seahawks on apple podcasts google Podcasts, spotify and the all-new odyssey app that's a-u-d a-c-y coming up on thursday i'm going to be breaking down my observations from seattle's latest open training camp practice plus i had the opportunity to chat with seahawks defensive end lj collier prior to tuesday's practice we'll be sharing a portion of that interview to cap off our thursday show thanks for tuning in go hawks